Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest-growing white-collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity, gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock, because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is the Tom Hartman Program, and I'm Jefferson Smith. It is a big week. It is a serious week. People of Iowa, to decide who might the next president be, at the very least, who will be the first frontrunner with votes in hand and delegates in hand in the Democratic primary to be president of these United States. We'll have a State of the Union this week. And this week, we'll have a final decision, almost certainly, on what the vote count will be for the impeachment trial of the President of the United States. It's a serious week. It's a big week. And because it's a serious week, I'm wearing a coat and tie today. I don't wear a coat and tie very often, but it is a coat and tie week. My name is Jefferson Smith. I'm sitting in for Tom Hartman. I am honored to do so. And thank you so much for being with us. And in a moment, I want to play a clip from Lamar Alexander. Lamar Alexander made the case for Donald Trump to be president. Now, he was interviewed by Chuck Todd, and the interview went viral. Lots of people saw it. And they saw it because of the first portion. And the first portion where Chuck Todd said, why does the president do this kind of stuff? And he said, well, maybe the president doesn't know the right thing to do. And Chuck Todd said, when is he going to learn? At what point? Should we, in fact, expect that he's the president of the United States? He should know how to be president of the United States. The job of president is to be the president, and to know how to do the job and know how to be the president. And that part, that little part, was the focus 
of much gnashing of teeth over the internet weekend. There's another part of that same short clip that I think is vastly more important that I think explains the vote count in the U.S. Senate, the vote count on whether evidence should be allowed in a trial. For those of us who went to law school, trials are about evidence. If you have something that doesn't have evidence, that's an appeal. If you have something that doesn't have evidence, that might be a judge's ruling. That might be a summary judgment. But if you have a trial, the reason it's a trial is you take evidence and the finder of fact then evaluates that evidence. Lamar Alexander, I'm not going to say he said the inside part out loud. I think it's also the out loud part. But he made the case. And what I want to hear from you about is to make sure that we know how to respond to that. What is the counter-argument? I'll welcome your counter-arguments. And I also might make a couple of my own. It is a serious week. It is my coat and tie day because it's a serious day and a serious week. Another significant question, what should we be watching for in Iowa? There's going to be a different dynamic after today. Since 2015, when Bernie Sanders surprised some people by announcing a candidacy for president, and many people greeted that with thankfulness that there would at least be a contested Democratic primary. Hillary Clinton, who was announced as the presumptive nominee, would have a challenge from the left, and that would spark discussion. Many people didn't think that that discussion would yield many votes for someone other than presumptive nominee Hillary Clinton. But at least there would be a discussion. U.S. senators like my U.S. senator, Senator Jeff Merkley, thought that would be good. Eventually even endorsed Bernie Sanders. Well, Bernie Sanders ended up getting a lot more votes than anybody thought. But at no point did it become clear or even assumed that he was the front runner, in fact, that he would be the president. He did not become the nominee, and people moved on. And he was in his mid-70s, so I think a lot of people thought, well, he probably won't run again. He did run again. And then there was another presumptive nominee, Joe Biden. And the candidate that Bernie Sanders had urged to run in 2016, Elizabeth Warren, who didn't run in 2016, did run. And again, Bernie Sanders would be in the, you know, second to third position, receiving some degree of discussion, attention certainly, but not the kind of attention one receives as a presumptive nominee, as the likely frontrunner to be the Democratic standard bearer to be president of these United States. If the most recent polls are correct, and Bernie Sanders is up, let's say, seven points in Iowa, and he does, in fact, come in first place, one might say not win. You might not win Iowa. You don't get all the delegates. Those are apportioned proportionately. And almost certainly no one who is running will get a majority of those delegates. But let's say he gets first place in Iowa. It will become clear that Bernie Sanders is the front runner to be the Democratic nominee for the president of these United States. 
And I'd have to say, when John Kerry was running for president, and he surprised some folks in Iowa a little bit better, and part of the reason was he had tapped into a lot of on-the-ground folks who could caucus well. I don't think there is as clear a rationale, a reason to think that Bernie will underperform in Iowa because he's got such a strong ground game because he built something so strong in 2016 and he's built it stronger in 2020. If he becomes the front runner, how does that change the dynamic? I don't mean, does that mean you change who you want for president? I don't mean, do we pound the table harder for Bernie Sanders? Do we pound the table harder for Elizabeth Warren? Do we pound the table harder for Amy Klobuchar or somebody else? That's not what I mean. But how does it change the dynamic? What do we start evaluating differently tomorrow than we've been evaluating for the first part of this year, for last year, and frankly, the last five years? I think that's a dynamic that will change. Another thing we'll want to cover this week, the president's State of the Union. The president will stand up as an impeached president and give us his constitutionally mandated address about how the country is doing. What do we expect from that? What do we want to be prepared for? How should the response focus? These are serious times. We like to make fun of the President of the United States. A habit very often of the liberal constabulary is to poke fun at the dum-dum, whether that dum-dum was Hitler or that dum-dum was Reagan or that dum-dum was Bush or that dum-dum is Trump. But the dum-dum critique doesn't always go very far because these are serious matters. And while we might poke fun from time to time and might even have some of it, these are serious matters. It is a serious week. And how should we be attending to those serious matters of what a president and what a country should do? Those are some of the big, big topics that are happening here in the United States. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. It is an honor to be with you. When we come back, I want to hear that clip from Mar Alexander that got so much interwebs attention this weekend that got people talking about, oh, he's a... He just doesn't know. Donald Trump just doesn't know. And that's the part that got the attention. But the part I want you to hear, the part I think is important, is Lamar Alexander, who proved himself to be Republican first and supporter of democracy, maybe somewhere. Who elucidated, who made very clear in concise terms the argument for Donald Trump to be president of the United States. I want to hear that argument, and I want to hear your response. Look, I'm Jefferson Smith. This is the Tom Hartman Show. It's an honor to be with you. What I want to focus on right now is the clip that did go viral around. It was from Lamar Alexander and Chuck Todd. And the reason it went viral is because so many people like to point out and like to focus on the dumb, dumb critique of Donald Trump and then like to uh, focus on the fact that Republicans will cover over his dumb, dumb behavior and even use his dumb, dumb behavior as an excuse for his dumb, dumb behavior. But it is the second part of what Lamar Alexander had to say, where he makes the case for Donald Trump to be president, that is vastly more important in my judgment. Let's play it now. Nate, can we play that? Does it wear on you, though, that one of the... I mean, one of the foundational reasons, uh, ways that the framers wrote the Constitution was almost fear of foreign interference. That's true. So, and here it is. Well, if you 
hooked up with Ukraine to wage war on the United States, as the first senator from Tennessee did, you could be expelled. But this wasn't that. This, this was the kind of what the president should have done was if he was upset about Joe Biden and his son and what they were doing in Ukraine, he should have called the attorney general and told him that and let the attorney general handle it the way they always handle cases that involve public. Figures. And why do you think he didn't do that? Maybe he didn't know to do it. I, OK, I, this has been a rationale that I've heard from a lot of Republicans. Well, boy, he's still new to this. Well, a lot of people come to At what point, though, is he no longer new to this? Well, the, the bottom line is not an excuse. He shouldn't have done it. Uh, and, and, and I said he shouldn't have done it. And now I think it's up to the American people to say, okay, good economy, lower taxes, conservative judges, behavior that I might not like, call to Ukraine, weigh that against Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders and pick a president. There it is. Did you hear that? I know you heard the first part. Everybody's tweeting her out, focusing on the first part. Where he says, well, maybe he didn't know how to do it. Maybe he didn't know he had an attorney general. Maybe he didn't know that he was supposed to, you know, if he thought there was criminal activity, report it to the proper authorities. Yeah, maybe because he's new to this. Then Chuck Todd, well, maybe he shouldn't be new to this anymore. He's been president for three years. It's that second part that's so much more important. Where Lamar Alexander says, well... When I look at this, good economy, lower taxes, conservative judges, maybe some behavior we don't like, weigh that against Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders and pick a president. That's the argument. That's the argument that he says not only to Chuck Todd. That's the argument that they're saying in their own offices about saying, well, do we want to throw this Donald Trump guy over the side? And they say, well, no, we're getting what we want, our conservative justices, and we're getting, you know, to move the economy in the direction in favor of rich people. Let's keep it going. That's the argument. How do you counter that argument? I think that calling Donald Trump naughty does not defeat that argument. I think that calling him a dum-dum, I think underestimating the movement that begat him, I think overestimating the rattler and not the full snake is insufficient to win. What is sufficient? How do you counter that argument? Maybe I'm wrong. If you think I'm wrong... Feel free to tell me if you think just calling him an idiot is sufficient to win. Might not have been sufficient to keep George W. Bush from serving two terms. Might not have been sufficient to keep Ronald Reagan from serving two terms. Might have not been sufficient for Charlie Chaplin to make fun of Adolf Hitler and keep Adolf Hitler from absolute atrocity. Maybe it'll be enough for Trump. If you think so, if you think it's different than those cases, different century, certainly, tell me so. But if you think there's something else we have to be doing, if there's a different central argument, we'd love to hear it. It's Tom Hartman program. I am Jefferson Smith. Honored to sit in. Let's go to Paul from Woodenville, Massachusetts. Paul, you're listening in WCPT. Ain't afraid of me. Excuse me. Woodenville, Washington, I think. This argument that it was a mistake or it was I'm new to the job. First of all, ignorance, uh, ignorance is no excuse of the law, of course. None of us would get away with anything. As a matter of fact, you know, the person in the office, the OMB, who first red flagged the fact that the funds have ex- had expired. By the way, the funds for Ukraine expired within Trump's possession. And they do after 45 days of being authorized, if they're not dispersed or get some kind of congressional approval. They expired within his possession. And the OMB said, hey, you got to, you got to, these are expired. And if that person had been the one, to do it other than the president, he'd be fired. He'd be in jail 
for doing that. So the way they treated this was not like a mistake. For instance, if you made a mistake in, in your taxes and you didn't pay something, you could argue to the IRS, hey, listen, I, I made a mistake. Why? But if you say to the IRS, hey, F you, I'm not giving you anything. You're not going to be sitting in your house for very long. You're going to be sitting in jail. So the way they handled this was to stonewall it. And the, so the, the excuse was Lamar Alexander admits that this had to be for political gain and what he's really saying. And this is the kind of political gain we like. So he's endorsing it. He's not just saying, oh, you know, it was a mistake. He's wet behind the ears. He's new to this job. But, hey, it's the kind of political mistake we like. Well, we got our tax cuts and we got our judges. Now, somebody who's been very patiently waiting is Congressman Mark Pocan of Madison, Wisconsin. I believe he is in Iowa. He has endorsed a candidate for president of the United States, but he's on the ground to tell us what's happening. Congressman, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thanks, Jefferson. Glad to be here. What do you think we really need to be watching? You can say something you want about Iowa. What are you really watching when it comes to the State of the Union that we're also going to be hearing this week? You have two things people have their eyes on. One is the closing arguments and the impeachment trial. And what happens in Iowa really does have a huge effect going into the rest of the primaries. And uh, there's some people who think you might have a record turnout today in Iowa. There's at least four people who you have to get 15 percent to be viable. There's four people who, by based on the polls, could do that. So it's a, a lot of energy, a lot of excitement here on the ground in Des Moines. I assume the president, but of course, I, I'm always wrong, and I try to predict what, what a normal person would do. But you think you'd want to pivot and show that you know he's either able to work in a bipartisan way or highlight some at least perceived accomplishments. But, you know, uh, if the impeachment trial is not done, you never know what Donald Trump might do. And I do want to talk to you about Iowa. Give us your take. On a scale of 1 to 10, Congressman, how dumb is it that we pick a president starting out with Iowa caucuses? You think it's one being genius, ten being <laughs> what the heck are we doing? Yeah, you know, it, it's interesting because even um, before we changed some of the rules the last time, which I supported, you know, taking away some of the power of the superdelegates, you know, we have a mix. We have open primaries, we have closed primaries, we have caucuses. So each of those is a, its own different animal, right? New Hampshire will be the first primary, but then there's open primaries and closed primaries where in some closed primaries you've had to register months in advance and you can only vote in your party. So it's kind of a weird process overall. But generally, I think what I heard in the last several decades, there's only been a couple times that whoever won Iowa didn't go on to take the nomination. And I think that's why people pay attention to what's happening today. Yeah, it clearly matters. Let's ask about impeachment. Was there anything you were watching for, anything that you learned? And I don't necessarily mean new evidence. I saw the vote where they kept out new evidence. But anything in the dynamic that you have learned or a new reflection you have had from the Senate deliberations, if we can call them that? Well, I just think there's so many senators who are afraid of the power that Donald Trump has within the Republican Party, that they're afraid of primaries, they're afraid to upset folks within the base. But because of it, I mean, without question, there's going to be more information that comes out. And I just don't know how they're going to answer some of this later because they wouldn't take any witnesses or documents now. It's one of the dominant arguments. And generally, I would track the Trump critique this way. And by the way, I critique the primary Trump critique. I think it's insufficient. I don't like it very much. But I say it so you can blow me, you know, tell me where I'm dumb. Sure. Where they say, Donald Trump does so much inappropriate behavior. 
He's so naughty and he's such a dumb dumb. He shouldn't be president, but these Republicans are so afraid of him because of the power he has in the Republican Party, they stick with him. I think there is a different critique. And I think Lamar Alexander's response on Meet the Press was an example, illustrates the importance of that. I think the different critique, I think the more important critique is that Donald Trump is immoral and a president who is doing bad things for the country. And that he is supported by a movement that wants those things to happen. It's not that they're merely afraid of him. It's that they are in cahoots with him to help make bad things happen. And therefore, the, whether or not he's a dum-dum, we know that he is in some ways and he isn't in other ways. That analysis is less interesting to me now. And the reason I use the Lamar Alexander example is not just that it's recent, but also is this guy's not running again. I don't know what he's afraid of. Is he afraid of history? Do you think that Lamar Alexander's vote was an indication that he was afraid of something, some compromat, some, I don't know, book deal, some lever that was still there unseen? Or do you think it is a better example that cutting taxes for rich people, taking away benefits for middle class and poor people, and empowering anti-democratic jurists to put democracy, in fact, in chains is the joke, and he's in on that joke. What say you? You know, I think it's a mix. I mean, when Paul Ryan was Speaker, clearly he had two goals his entire career in Congress, to cut taxes for the wealthiest and to try to take away what they call entitlements, which we call things like Social Security and Medicare and Medicaid. And he accomplished uh, one of them quite well by getting the big tax break. So you're right. In many ways, they do believe in some of the awful ideas. I think Donald Trump, though, also does some things that are a little bit dangerous because he thinks he's going to make a profit personally, he and his family. And those decisions, I don't think they necessarily agree with, but they're still afraid to take him on because the president's really overtly racist actions really mobilize a certain constituency within the Republican Party. So I think you're right. Part of it is, you know, Paul Ryan, that was probably his happiest day in his life, and he was able to cut taxes for the wealthiest, not tax reform, just cutting taxes for rich people. But at the same time, I don't think, you know, a lot of the actions he does don't benefit the country, don't benefit the Republican Party. They benefit Donald Trump and his family and his businesses. And I think those things are much harder for them to justify. But again, they won't take him on because I think there is a factor of being afraid of him. And I think he is a bully and people, some people fear bullies, to be sure. And and when the bully is the president of the United States, there's reason to fear. But here's what I think is at stake. Here's why I think that matters a little bit. And it's not just, I'm not just trying to be uh, sort of pedantic on the matter. That Mm -hmm. When we say that the and when so much of the intelligentsia says, oh, they're afraid of him, that is, in my judgment, sort of a forgiving remark. Well, yeah, they're afraid of him. So as rather as implicating an implication remark saying, well, they're in cahoots with him. They're helping him do bad things. Mark Pocan, you want to stick with us for a little bit more? Do you need to bounce? I I actually have to bounce because I'm heading to a launch for Bernie uh, in Des Moines. So I've got to leave here like about 90 seconds. You're uh, wonderful. Thank you so much for for being with us. This is Tom Show. Take care. Howdy, everybody. You are listening to the Tom Harbin program. I am Jefferson Smith. I want to say thanks to the kind words and also to the folks who've been tweeting at me. Uh, you can tweet us at Tom underscore Hartman. You can tweet at me at Jefferson D. Smith. Uh, got a bunch. We have to be alarmed. Here's from Rita. Thank you, Rita. We have to be alarmed and need to be in a hair on fire mode as the excellent shouty McShoutface 
Malcolm Nance. Uh, thank you, Leslie, for your very kind words. One person thinking that another caller was a plant. Hope not. I'll never know. Lynn from Mobile. I hope I pronounced that right. Alabama, you're on speed round. Yes, Mobile, and thank you for taking my call. I just wanted to comment. First of all, I'm in a red, red state, which is frustrating in and of itself. But lately what my progressive friends and I have been experiencing is an increased provocation, confrontation on the part of Trump supporters. And this is occurring in hospital waiting rooms, Mardi Gras balls, you name it. How do those confrontations manifest themselves? Give me a give me an example. You mean physical confrontations? You mean like yelling at somebody? What do these look like? Oh yeah, just blurting out uh, uh, Trump's uh, support and then putting down or criticizing or denigrating Democrats just out of the blue. You know, yeah. and just out of What do you chalk that up like, to? To me, uh, to me, I think the, the way I think about it is that uh, much of the right wing movement has been built around trolling. Owning the libs has become an objective in itself and that manifesting the values of that team, whether you call it a political party, a movement, a cult, whatever you, word you want to use, that it's cult, that, that it's that it's. Uh, raison d'etre to some degree. It's, it's reason for being that it's, it's uh, language is one of owning the libs. That's what it wants to do. Uh, and that now, well, while maybe briefly mildly chastened for uh, while impeachment was happening in the House, now is becoming emboldened in with the impeachment lack of a trial in the Senate. What say you? Well, uh, I think part of it is a method of intimidation. Yeah. It's meant to be intimidating. But the other thing, too, is if you live in this part of the country and you're white, then most people automatically assume that you're pro-Trump. Mm-hmm. So they may be looking for commiseration. But in some cases, this has happened to people uh, that these trolls or cult members know are Democrats. And it's a provocation. They're trying to There's own no the libs. What, what do you, Lynn, what do you do? What's been useful to you if someone pro- either tries to provoke you or if they do it near you? Is it most useful for you just to kind of walk away and not engage? Do you try to engage no, softly? No, do you no, try no. to, what do you, what do you try to do? Well, we've talked, my friends and I have talked about this, and, and that's what I've done in the past. And I'm no shrinking violet by, by any means, but having a mental health background, I, you know, I'm thinking, well, I will ignore this. I'll brush it off. I won't respond or whatever, but it's getting worse. So uh, we just come back at them and they're shocked many times that you have an opposing view and they immediately shut down like the bullies they are when they get, you know, have it come back to them. Lynn, so, Lynn I, mean, I want to say I want to say thank you. I didn't mean to cut you off. Finish your thought. Uh, well, I'm just saying that the ignoring them doesn't work. Yep. It just gets worse. No, I think you're doing and the right I, thing. You know, I think I, th- I think you're doing the right thing. And let's be really clear. I have so many thoughts on this subject. And eventually, the good people who run this program are just going to move to commercial and, and, and cut me off, which they should do. But let me respond by agreeing in a couple different ways. So social proof, we know, is a powerful thing. It has been said that Democrats understand policy, but the Republican movement understands psychology. And one of the big pieces of psychology is social proof. Put on a MAGA hat. 
yell your stuff, nobody disagrees and anybody watching thinks, well, I guess that's what our community thinks. And if I'm surrounded by people that think a certain way, that is the most persuasive thing there is. It's way more persuasive than me flapping my gums, way more persuasive than some policy paper, is what the people surrounding us in our own community think about a thing. Social proof is powerful. Thank you for disrupting some of that, and thank you for calling in, Lynn. So imagine this Valentine's Day story is you. You're parked outside the restaurant where you're meeting your date in 10 minutes, and Glancing in the mirror, you notice those wrinkles and large under-eye bags, and you rummage through your bag thinking, where's my secret weapon? And there it is, Plexiderm. You apply the clear serum under your eyes, and boom, two minutes later, you start seeing the under-eye bags and wrinkles disappearing right in front of your eyes. You'll look years younger. Plexiderm is the clinically studied serum that visibly eliminates your wrinkles, crow's feet, and under-eye bags in just minutes. It's the Valentine's Day gift you give yourself. Go to triplexiderm.com and enter Voices for half off, 50% off, plus an extra 10 bucks off. Again, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com for 50% off, plus an extra 10 bucks off. This offer is also available by calling 1-800-685-1292 and mentioning the code VOICES. Plexiderm is backed by a 30-day money-back guarantee, so to get my special discount, enter Voices at triplexiderm.com. Eric on XM Radio from Burlington. How you doing, Eric? As much as I have some sympathies towards the positions of Bernie Sanders, I will tell you some alarming things. And here's what I mean. Um, I know a lot of people who, when Bernie did not get the nomination last time, they stayed home or they voted for Trump. And um, it didn't take many to, to make a difference. It really didn't. And um, if, if, you know, th this this idea that, the superdelegates stole it from Bernie. Look, I'm not saying they didn't want to steal it from Bernie, but, you know, Hillary beat Bernie by a significant margin, significant margin. And look, I'm not a, I wasn't for Hillary, but what I'm saying is that I ultimately caucus for Hillary. But this this it's mythology and this mythology, the, the Bernie supporter is the supporter who can most easily say, hey, if I don't win, I'm taking my ball and I'm going home. The final thing I want to say about Bernie is as much as I am very close to lining up with him politically, I learned and looked up some things about him when it came to the Iran hostages being taken and some of his early affiliations with stuff that borderlines really on the Communist Party. I'm not saying it is. If those things going to alarm me as a guy who would vote for him normally, uh, what do you think it's going to do to the swing voter? Setting aside humanity for a minute and looking only at political punditry, uh, I do think the dynamic shifts when Bernie Sanders becomes the frontrunner. And if the Des Moines Register poll, which was leaked, uh, that it apparently it got set aside because Buttigieg was left out in at least one call because the poll was very long, and a Buttigieg supporter, maybe a staff worker, called in and, and they ended up pulling the poll, but it got released anyway. Uh, but it shows Bernie seven points up. Let's assume that it's right. And I have no reason to think that it's not in the ballpark. Uh, and by the way, the dynamics I see of what could make somebody underperform or overperform polls, it seems to me that Bernie's movement has so much strength, so much on the ground capability that I wouldn't think that it would underperform.
right? I think that, you know, maybe one could say, well, a lot of his support comes from younger people. Maybe they won't caucus as much. But I would still think that Bernie Sanders will at least come pretty close to performing his prediction. If that's the case, then he ends up being the front runner in this presidential candidacy. And I do think that changes the dynamic. I do think that there has been an assumption by a lot of us. I was a Bernie uh, voter, as I think most of the folks here know, in the primary 2016. There's been an assumption by many of my friends that, oh, well, Bernie Sanders would have been a really strong general election candidate. Many of them will insist very strongly. Well, it's clear he would have beaten Trump. And I'm not saying who, I don't want to relitigate 2016. I'm over it. It's four years ago, three years ago. We need to move on. But to assume that there isn't an electability question is probably a false assumption, right? I mean, like, you know, we, we, we haven't had a Jewish president. We haven't had an avowed socialist president. And we haven't had a president who was going to turn 80 in their first year in office. Those are things to overcome. I'm not saying the guy can't win, but it's a legitimate question. It is, by the way, I retreat to the bastion of who'd be the best president. And that doesn't necessarily mean Bernie Sanders would be the best president. I think there's a good argument to be had on that question. But I do think, and my primary thing, I come neither to praise Caesar nor to bury him. I come for democracy, not for a particular candidate. I'm not here to stand on a stump for any cult of any personality or thinking that any person is going to be the savior of our democracy. That's not how I think it works. I think it works because of a benevolent community. I think the hero narrative is oppressive. I think it supports patriarchy. And I think anybody, and I don't just mean that about dudes, I mean that about oppression. I think that if we think that there is someone who's going to come in on the white horse and save us, we have another think coming. The good news is there are presidential candidates to talk about that. Bernie Sanders is one of them. Uh, that said, I think there are legitimate questions about viability. And yeah, they're going to come up more if Bernie Sanders wins tonight, as I think a lot of us think he probably is going to. A lot of people are in, on the, who listen to this program are really excited about uh, my idea how to combat their arguments. This is from T Daddy. Thank you, T Daddy. Uh, how to combat their arguments to accentuate Trump's failures because he has failed in business most of his life and his presidency is just the same. A mere citizen tweeted at me. Allowing Republicans to list taxes, deregulation, judges, etc. as reason for supporting Trump is lazy and lets them off the hook. Any Republican president would do the exact same. These aren't Trump's policy. He signs what Republicans put in front of him. This actually underscores some of the point. So much of our focus is on the current occupant of the White House, as I've said before, and I will say again, he is not the head of the snake. He is the rattler. And rattlers can grow back. Uh, Muggsy said that uh, high crimes don't refer to crimes like treason. Uh, it would make no sense to equate a high crime with a misdemeanor. High refers to the office committing the crime, not the crime itself. Misdemeanor literally, excuse me, misdemeanor literally translates to bad behavior. And I would argue that the discussion I wish we were having in a bipartisan way in this country is what impeachment ought to be for. And whenever I heard somebody say, well, abuse of power that's not enough to impeach somebody. It needs to be for, I don't know, like robbing someone. Abuse of power is why impeachment exists. It's when the normal mechanisms of our government and electoral processes won't work to address a problem. That's why they said in order not to have a king, even an elected king, there's got to be this other tool. So I agree. And thank you very much, uh, Muggsy, for uh, shouting out, for giving us that definition. Uh, the Oh, thanks for the kind words, Sly Fox. The call-in number, we're going to do another quick speed round. The call-in number here is 202-808-9925. Lots of people wanted to share their thoughts. This is your show, so I want to get to you. Tim from Fountain Hills has a movie recommendation. Go ahead, Tim. Speed round. Hey, Jefferson, I'd like to recommend that everybody watch Rampage, President Down. 
it's probably got the only methodology available to us to battle the Murdoch, Ailes, Fox News brainwashing that's going on amongst the Republican set in this country. Rampage President Dowd, and thank you very much for calling in. Connie, listen on XM from Buffalo, New York. Go ahead, Connie. Getting really tired of hearing that the Democrats aren't doing this, the Democrats should do that. Point is, we have a corrupt president, we have a corrupt Republican Party, we have a corrupt Bill Barr, we have a corrupt Mitch McConnell, and those Democrats are fighting as hard as they can, and I'm getting tired of them saying that they're not. Thank you, Connie. I feel the frustration of the people who call, to be really clear. But I also think that you're right to point us at if one of the callers has a frustration. My guess is that their ally, who isn't winning, is not to blame. The person they wish were more powerful, you don't want to weaken the person you wish were more powerful. You want to strengthen the person you wish were more powerful. And we can train our concerns over the things we're most concerned about. Connie, I appreciate it. It's related to my comment of why we put so much of our emphasis on, well, if Democratic politicians are losing, it must be because of a flaw of a Democratic politician. If a pro-democracy person is losing, it must be because of a flaw of that person. Or it might be because there are systemic things that we need to change. Or blue, no matter who, because we've got to get in there and we've got to get and fix this crap. Because the Democratic Party has been destroying our freaking democracy for years now. You said you said the Democratic Party has been destroying. All right. No, out of control. All right, Connie, I got to go next and let us all be careful with how we communicate with one another. Gloria from Salem, Oregon. That's a capital city in my home state. I think I have PTSD. I hear you, Gloria. It's post-traumatic stress syndrome, and it's post-Trump. <laughs> PTSD is PTTSD. <laughs> I hear you. So and, and, and it's. Do you think the trauma is from the presidency, from the election? What are you feeling the trauma yeah. about, Gloria? Well, we have an evil person in the White House, and he's extremely evil. He he really enjoys hurting and killing people at the border and and uh, kicking people out of the country. He enjoys it, and it's really, really scary and it's sad. You're listening to the Tom Hartman Program. I'm Jefferson Smith. In that conversation, reminded me of one of the themes for the day. The argument is, well, the... Republicans are afraid of him. And I don't dispute that. But I also want to be careful in the language that we choose and in the language that we try to hold our pundits and analysts and journalists to account on. We say, well, they're afraid of him, so they fall in line. In some respect, that is a forgiving remark. That is letting them off the hook. I think that a significant piece to add is that they are in cahoots. They are in on the joke. The joke is on us. And that they want this kind of president to be president. Not just, oh, we can't do anything because we're just losing a primary. There's nothing we could possibly do. What could we possibly do? What could we possibly do? Well, I'll tell you what. A huge share of U.S. senators are not up in 2020. They're not fearful of their next election. Tell you what, Lamar Alexander, not up for election at all. He's not just doing some sort of fear of failure to get reelected. They are implicated, not forgiven. The Republican Party was on trial. Not It's just not Donald Trump who's on trial and people are afraid to do something about it. It is a movement that is wrong, a movement that needs to be defined as such. We need to think more bigly rather than more smallly. And yeah, I said bigly and pretended it's a word. Denise 
You are on the air. Thank you so much for listening. Well, thank you for taking my call. I just want to add that you were spot on in regard to the GOP accepting Donald Trump for the judges for his uh, absolute cruelty to people to execute this far-right agenda and also for using God as their frontman to propagandize, propagandize the word abortion and twist the twist that uh, to take away women's health and control of women's body. But on top of that, I just wanted to add why I called. I just had to throw that in there, if you don't mind. But sure. um, on top of that, um, this morning, um, and I, I would like to get the tape um, from Morning Joe of Tom Brokaw's report in Iowa, who said, quote, unquote, President Trump was found not guilty. Now, I think Tom Brokaw knows exactly what he said. I think Tom Brokaw did it for a reason. I don't know his politics, so I'll just let my opinion be made about this. Interesting. I think it's com- complete irresponsibility when Lamar, whatever his name, when I don't really appreciate people, I kind of forget their names, but the, the senator. Lamar Alexander, sure. Senator for, yeah, from, from Tennessee, who uh, said that Trump was guilty Lawyers said he was guilty. The admissions are out there, and still Tom Brokaw finds a way to slip in Donald Trump was found not guilty. Now, that's a good catch. I appreciate that, Denise. That's a good catch. Oh, I listen to this stuff, and and, and just like the point you made about the, the whole agenda of the GOP and why Trump is there. It's for money. It's for greed. It's for the judges. It's it's to infiltrate this country. And, and you know, what's so sickening is that, and excuse my expression, but it's just the God's truth. If the black guy did it, we would have, I, I just, the hypocrisy is not even the right word. You know what I mean? It doesn't really resonate. And, and if I hear one more time that these people's legacies are going to be destroyed, they don't care. They do not care because they will be written in history that they saved the world. Chuck Schumer and some of these guys keep saying this, that that's our argument. That Sorry, I was getting passionate about this. That's all right, Denise. I appreciate it. Oh, well, they're going to be, yeah, be written down in history as being a the They don't care. It's such a lame uh, perception of what the Democratic Party is about, you know? Yeah. Denise, I'm going to go to the next caller so we have a chance to fit in one more, unless there is another thing you really need to fit in. No, that's it. I just want to call Tom Brock out. Thank you. Thank you so much. You're priceless. Uh, Barbara from Gardena, California, you're on. I think I agree with you mostly, Uh, but I... The Democrats, Democrats made the biggest mistake by not following Nancy Pelosi. She told them from Jump Street that even if they impeached them, they weren't going to get a conviction. And basically that the, uh, their energy and time and money would have been better spent by trying to uh, overthrow, not overthrow him to defeat him in the upcoming election. So, Barbara, you think uh, think it was a mistake for the House to move forward on articles of impeachment because they knew the Senate wasn't going to convict? Exactly, and they could have spent their time and effort banging on him uh, 
with the end. Well, Barbara, let me ask you this, this though. Bar Barbara, let me ask you this, though. I want to say something about what you said. Well, hold on, hold on. Let me stick what with that first thing. Barbara, let me stick with that first thing. Do you think, Barbara, that the president has committed impeachable offenses? Not particularly. Okay. Well, then that's that, that, then that's the key high, thing. Wait a minute. They say high crimes and misdemeanors. Okay. So the misdemeanors, if if and and they uh, um, went out the point, uh, brought out the point that it did not have to be criminal. If it's not going to be criminal in nature, that's going to leave a lot of leeway to the senators. Yeah, no, that's that's the Republicans' argument. That's that's how not as impeachable. I hear you, and now I do. And I, yeah, and I do want to. I do want to respond to that, Barbara. And I do appreciate. I do appreciate the call very much. Because uh, to, to me, it's that second question that matters more than the first. Did the president, because I think we should be analyzing impeachment, not merely through a political lens, not primarily through a political lens. I can't say not at all through political lens. That would not be real. These folks get elected at things. The first question should be, did he commit impeachable offenses? I would have had the impeachment inquiry cover more than Ukraine. I do think he committed impeachable offenses. Because I think that, I think the House had to issue articles of impeachment. Because I don't think that's merely a political matter. But I understand, Barbara, your view. If you don't think he committed impeachable offenses, then you just look to the politics. Deborah's home was stolen. No, I don't mean thieves stole stuff. I mean scammers literally stole her home. The FBI calls title theft one of the fastest growing white collar crimes. And this story is why you need home title lock. Deborah says criminals found the title to our home online and filed fraudulent documents claiming they owned our home. Wait, it gets worse. Deborah goes on to say, I was evicted from my own home and 85 grand in equity gone. Nobody believes you can get your home stolen this easily. This is why you need home title lock because no insurance or bank protects your home from title theft. First things first, go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if your home's title has been tampered with. You need to protect the legal title to your home so you don't end up like Deborah. Go to HomeTitleLock.com now for 60 risk-free days of protection. Again, that's HomeTitleLock.com. HomeTitleLock.com. Our free Hartman Report podcast recaps the show every day. It's available wherever you find great podcasts. Let's go to Michael from the Bronx, who is calling in. Go ahead, Michael. With this Senate impeachment trial, I can't even call it a trial because the GOPs turned it into a hearing. And as you had stated, we all should know the difference between a trial and a hearing. If there's no witnesses, this is not a doggone trial. And as Adam Schiff has said, there's a cover-up going on. As Jerry Nadler said, that the Senate, in, referring, in reference to GOPs, are on trial. With that said, I would strongly recommend for everyone listening including our Democratic contenders for the presidency, that take note of each and every GOP senator that sides with the criminal Trump in their votes. All right, take names and then make it a campaign issue. If Mitch McConnell 
decides to be so slick as to deny the polling of each and every senator, then hold every single GOP and Congress accountable for aiding and abetting a criminal, which in itself is a crime. No one is above the law, and I'm sick and tired of these GOPs trying to place themselves and Trump above the law, and then they're going to lie through their stinking teeth when they say, the president did nothing wrong, they did nothing wrong, and then later concede, well, he did something inappropriate, but it's not impeachable. Twice they're wrong. You know what I'm saying? I know what you're saying, Mike, and I'm picking up what you're putting down, and thank you so much for calling. My pleasure. And here's what I'll say. I'll, I'll quote Sarah Kenzier, whose headline was, The Republican Party is on trial. And I will move on from that. I will embrace that frame. The Republican Party has been on trial. And the evidence is their conduct in reaction to what we all see. In Alan Dershowitz making the claim and making the argument that if a president does it and the president is benefiting themselves, their own election, their own likelihood of winning re-election, that is in the public interest and therefore not impeachable. One of the most dangerous arguments I've ever heard any lawyer attempt to make. If you combine that, and I do want to talk about that, in fact, a little bit later. One of the things I want to talk about is implications of that argument. But who is on trial is the Republican Party. As Sarah Kenzier said, and the evidence is their reaction. And the jury is us. The jury are the listeners of this program. The jury are the people who aren't listening to this program, but who you might know. The jury are your family members and your neighbors and your coworkers and your colleagues. The jury is the citizenry, the electorate of the United States. And the verdict, as I've said for over a year now, is going to be the election in 2020. And it is, to some degree, a sham trial in the Senate. Lamar Alexander made the case, and in fact, we are going to hear about that in just a moment. But thank you, Michael, for the call. We'll be right back. You're listening to The Tom Hartman Show. I am Jefferson Smith. It's a serious week about serious things. I'm wearing a suit and tie. Woohoo! Be back. Hey, my new book, The Hidden History of the War on Voting, Who Stole Your Vote and How to Get It Back, is arriving in bookstores on February 10th. More information is available at all fine bookstores. I cover how the heartbeat of democracy depends on the vote. This book goes into depth on the racist legacy of our vote and the unique struggles of African-Americans, women, and Native Americans. In part two, there's a deep dive into the economic royalist modern war on voting. And part three is the solution section, how to get out there and get active. I'm also on the road to the book tour for the hidden history of voting. Join me on Monday, February 17th in San Francisco at the, for the Berkeley Arts and Letters series on Wednesday, February 19th at Town Hall, Seattle. Sunday, February 23rd for the Blue State Ball in Minneapolis. Friday, February 28th at Powell's in Portland. And Sunday, March 1st in Chicago. More information is available at TomHartman.com. This book is the third in the series after the hidden history of guns in the Second Amendment and the hidden history of the Supreme Court and the betrayal of America. It's not just that he's a dumb dumb. It is why that matters. 
It's not just that he's a dum-dum. It's that he's immoral and why that matters. When Charlie Chaplin was making fun with a little mustache of Adolf Hitler, the critique that the guy was a dum-dum, that he should be mocked and ridiculed, was vastly insufficient to impact the kind of public opinion necessary to topple a dictator. There had to be a case made why it mattered and why it wasn't just naughty. A little naughty. Not just silly, but immoral. And a case made why that immorality mattered. It's tie day. Wearing a tie is a serious stuff, a serious business. We're talking about today. I'm Jefferson Smith. This is the Tom Hartman Program. I know that Donald Trump called them the Kansas State Chiefs. I know that they're in Missouri. I know that it is somewhat ridiculous to be president of the United States and not understand that the vast bulk of Kansas City is, in fact, in Missouri, at least when you're talking about the football team. But you know what? That's not the part that I care about most. I vastly more care about kids in cages. Vastly more. I care vastly more that millions of Americans may be thrown off of, the, off of their health care because the right-wing movement wants that to happen. I care about a deficit that seems only to matter to a huge set of propagandists when there's a Democrat in office. When there's a Republican office, Republican in office, they jack up the deficit and the national debt to historic levels so that somebody else will pay for it. If you think the deficits and debts matter, maybe you don't. But if you do, you're leaving something to be paid for by somebody else later. That I care about that vastly more than whether or not somebody remembers that Kansas City is somewhat confusingly named. I care about vastly more that we are bullying the Fed to keep interest rates down to artificially fuel an economy and artificially fuel a stock market, which means we will have fewer tools to use when a crash does come, or at least just a little dip comes. See, when a dip comes, you have a few tools. You basically have monetary policy and fiscal policy. We all know the difference between these two things. It's very useful. Anybody who ever wants to run for office, help some candidate, just, it's, it's a useful thing to understand the difference between fiscal and monetary policy. Now, one tool you have is the ability to change interest rates. You can elevate them or you can lower them. And the Fed does that. We make that independent so they don't just do it to help reelect or defeat a president. So we don't just jack it up to defeat Jimmy Carter or keep him down to help Donald Trump. And you can use your uh, monetary tool of the price of money, interest rates, to jack up the economy. And if things get bad, if there is a recession, you can say, okay, now's a chance to make money a little cheaper so that people will take on debt. And by taking on that debt, we can juice the economy a little bit. We can get people buying stuff, getting people making stuff, getting people investing in new equipment, buying new homes, even new cars maybe. Might not be good for the climate, but it might juice up the economy. That's one tool. Another tool is our fiscal policy. And this is, well, let's call it stimulus. Oh, geez, we're having an economic downturn. We're Franklin Roosevelt. Let's go and put a bunch of people to work. Let's build a bunch of roads. Let's paint the murals in my high school, Grant High School in Portland, Oregon. Paint these beautiful murals, WPA projects. Let's get people to work. Let's stimulate the economy. Maybe in the 21st century, that could be a Green New Deal. That's another tool. And you might even take on debt to do that. 
the country say, you know what, we need to juice the economy, so we're going to borrow a bunch of money. And we're going to borrow a bunch of money, we're going to put it into stuff to make sure people are working so that we can restore confidence that we make things here, that we do things here, we do even buy things here. Those are your tools. Now, here's a problem. And this is something I care vastly more about than Donald Trump knowing which side of the line Kansas City is in. And that is that now we've already used those tools when the economy was already you know, relatively strong. Not that strong for poor people, not even that strong for middle class people, but strong for rich people. And we've used those who's already jacked up the debt. We've already lowered the interest rates. We didn't listen to the Bible. We didn't listen to the story of Joseph. These people who Bible thump all the time. We forgot the story of Joseph that says, well, you save for times of lean during times of plenty. If this is a time of plenty, if you buy that argument, why are we acting like it is a time of lean? Why are we eating our seed corn? I care about that vastly more than I care about where a football team is located. And let's make sure that we, one thing that this program can do, one thing that these the listeners, the wonderful community that Tom and his wonderful team have built is help hold to account media members who are getting off the topic. Hey, listen, enough with the dumb, dumb critique. Let's talk about the relevant stuff. I'm not saying the guy, we shouldn't make the case of why it matters. He doesn't know stuff, but let's make sure that we also talk about the stuff that matters. At least remember this, that the argument that a president running for office can manipulate elections and consider that in the public interest. Alan Dershowitz's argument, a professor at my law school, at least he used to be, one of the most atrocious, absurd, counterproductive legal arguments, if one can call it a legal argument, that's ever been made on the floor of any real body, that if you combine that argument with the current Justice Department's feeling that a sitting president can't be indicted and then a president can do whatever they want because they're the president, that is truly dangerous. And be watchful for that in the impeachment closing arguments as they make the argument that the president did nothing wrong and if he did, it wasn't wrong enough to be impeachable. And then, of course, we've got the State of the Union this week as well. And we'll be talking about that stuff. The thing I want to close with was a comment by a couple of callers, and we've all heard it before, right? If blank happens, I'm moving to Canada. If blank happens, as my friend, moving to Costa Rica. They don't all start with C and end with A. And I get it. I think what you mean is this really matters. I think what you mean is I truly care about this. I think what you mean is, hey, everybody, y'all be better paying attention to this stuff because it's a big thing. And like my love for my own country and my willingness to be here feels like it's at stake. I empathize with those. I want to argue for a different fed up comment. That comment is not very helpful Fed up comment, first of all. It's, you're not going to convince anyone. Trump voters aren't going to hear that as a threat and then say, oh, I, I guess I'll vote for Tom Steyer now. Also, we need you. People who don't move to Canada, if all the good people, I'm not saying it's only good people, all the good people move away, somebody's left. Somebody's still going to be in control. And the power of the United States matters. Who runs the United States matters, and it matters more than just the United States. 
because we influence the entire world. Having the extraordinarily powerful levers of the United States of America being directed in a pro-democracy, pro-middle class, pro-environment, pro-world way matters a lot. Having a middle class that's built and strong here that sets an example to the rest of the world matters a lot. Trying to resist the festering of oligarchy in this country matters a lot. Yes to here and to every single other place, including where you imagine you might move to if they'd take you. Just because you're born in the United States doesn't mean you get multiple dual citizenships everywhere else. But I understand where the comment comes from. I understand it as a synonym of I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. I understand it as a synonym of we got to do something different. I'm fed up. So I offer another one. I'm going to commit myself to meaningful change. I'm going to really do something. Because, by the way, if you're willing to move to Canada, you're willing to disrupt your life, your job, your family, your friends. You can still hang out with them on social media. You can probably stream this show, I assume, in Canada. But you're willing to disrupt your life. And if you're willing to disrupt your life, I have an alternative. State legislative races. Argue for sortition. Argue for selection, not by election, but making decisions by selected juries of our peers that aren't influenced by campaign contributions. Argue for public financing of the elections in your town. Campaign for a different way to elect people. You can pick star voting if you want as one. Rank choice voting if you want another. Find a local nonprofit that really needs your help and dig the heck in. Help for homeless people. In your hometown or two towns over. Help build an institution that will live past you. That will help other people when you are no longer in a position to help. Find a bastion, yes, because that's the other thing I hear. I can't take it anymore. It's too crazy here. And by the way, I try to recognize at least my own privilege, and some people genuinely don't feel safe. Find bastions. Find bastions of safety in your community, maybe two towns over. Find places that will reinforce your best instincts, that will challenge your worst. Hopefully this too can be a bastion. You are priceless. Definition of priceless, worth a lot, not for sale. Without you, democracy doesn't have a chance. We need you. We appreciate you. And I'll be back with you tomorrow. This is Tom's show. I'm Jefferson Smith. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 